Welcome to Building the Future. I'm your host, Kevin Horick. You can check out new episodes of the show every Tuesday and Thursday at 2 p.m. If you missed an episode or want to get more information about the show, please visit buildingthefutureshow.com. SoupX, the Startup Expo, North America's premier startup conference, is March 6th and 7th, 2017, in sunny Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Affordably priced, SoupX is a two-day international conference featuring workshops, panels, speeches, a $50,000 startup competition, and over 100 exhibitors. For more information, go to sup-x.org. Welcome back to the show. Today we have Felicia Hatcher. She's the co-founder at Code Fever and Black Tech Week. Felicia, welcome to the show. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you so much for having me, man. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on the show. You've you're doing a lot of really cool things and have done a lot of really cool things. But maybe before we kind of get into what you're doing now, let's get to know you a little bit better and start off with where you grew up. Yeah, I grew up in uh, in Delray Beach, Florida, uh, which is about. You know, most people don't know that city that well, but it's an hour north of Miami. Okay, okay. Kind of by Fort Lauderdale or? A little bit north of Fort Lauderdale in, in oh, Palm Beach okay. County. Okay, very cool. Nice area. I've been there a couple of times. Uh-huh. So I'm, I'm curious, walk me through kind of, you, you took communications in, in university. Mm-hmm. What was kind of the reasoning behind that or what you got, got you passionate about that? Yeah, you know, I um, I was one of those kids wasn't like uh, one of one wasn't a brainiac uh, sure. as far as like on paper and in the classroom. It just really wasn't my thing. But I was one of those kids that was extremely active right. back in high school. Played every sport I could get my hands on and was like remotely decent at and uh, and a part of like a lot of clubs. Uh, taught myself how to code. Um, really? when I was, when I was in, in high school, um, just because my parents got me, my, me a computer That's awesome. and was one of the first ones, you know, in my kind of group of friends to get it and was just like, here, figure it out. I love and it. so I had a lot of time to figure that out and to tinker and kind of break things and put things back together. And, um, but I sucked at math. Right. And so sure. although I loved it, although I originally wanted to be an engineer, I was kind of steered down this other path of TV production when I was in high school. And. I fell in love with that because, again, it was something else that was a big creative release for me. Sure. And so that's what that's what that's how I ended up actually majoring in communications in, in college was because I was like, all right, well, I clearly can't be a rocket scientist or an engineer. <laughs> and, and that kind of really is the reason we do a lot of the work that we do, right? Not sure. realizing that I had all the pieces to still, still succeed from an academic standpoint in that industry and was kind of pushed towards something something else. And I mean, it benefited greatly, right? So I, I worked in marketing for a long time for some really cool companies. And it was a marriage between kind of like my technology background, self-taught technology background, and then, you know, this kind of like mastery in communications and kind of experiential marketing product launch that, that really helped. So uh, but again, like the technology background is what helped me win $130,000 in scholarships and grants as a C student whose GPA never touched a 3.0 or a 4.0, uh, probably on the way down, but definitely not on the way up. But um, no, <laughs> you know, sure. all those, yeah, all those things w- is really kind of what led me down to that path of, of, of that concentration at Lynn University. But But I think like that in itself is, I think inspirational and super important to kind of stress again where like you don't have to be 
you know, like have a 4.0 to be successful in kind of this industry, right? Like in a lot of times it's, you need to figure out what you're good and what you're bad at Mm -hmm. and figure out how to kind of execute your strengths, right? Because I think everybody has strengths. And, And at the end of the day, when you're, when you're out in the job market, nobody's like, well, what was your GPA, right? Not, not might, at all, right? right? And I think um, people forget yeah. that sometimes, right? A lot of times, you know, like when was the last time someone asked you for your high school diploma or even hell, your college degree? Sure. Like, we are now in an industry where we have to move away from celebrating, um, you know, just a knowledge economy and know that we're in an applied knowledge economy. And the cream that rises to the top are the people that add value into any situation that they walk into and they can apply what they learn in and now and as rapidly as possible right so how quickly can you acquire this knowledge of whatever you learn on youtube sure. or in a classroom as fast or a boot camp as fast as possible and be able to solve this problem and i think that's been the major disconnect in in our educational system and then when people transfer over to to the corporate world of them not being prepared. And it's not that they didn't spend the time. They just did not spend the time in the in the places that actually make sense so that it, it they can actually apply what they've been able to learn. And that's what we struggle with. Like every day with code fever is almost kind of like going through this process of unlearning with our students and then reteaching them the things that are most important and how to think more um, analytical and logistical with like what they're doing. No, I, I think that, that makes Perfect sense. So I want to get to Code Fever in a second, but I also really curious, what was the Young American Leaders Program? Yeah, it was a delegation um, of about 10 of us here in Miami, but then uh, about 100 of us from all over the United States in some emerging uh, cities across the United States that spent about a week at Harvard. Um, I mean, it, it really kicked my butt again because I'm just not a classroom person. Sure. But going over just leadership and community building and kind of capacity building and, and kind of you know asset framing in communities to make them stronger and just even bridging stronger ties between those that are kind of doing the grassroots work of ecosystem building and and how and how that relates to government and how both of those kind of groups can work better together and smarter together to build more impactful uh, cities and like innovation hubs. So about a week we stayed in the dorms. Uh, It was like 12 to 14 hour days of going through case studies like crazy. And then each city kind of competed against each other at the end um, for coming up with kind of like a a concept of what we would bring back to our cities and then kind of work over uh, work on over the next over the year. So we're actually like meeting back up uh, actually this Thursday night for a dinner um, to kind of go over what we've been working on. And so the problem that we chose to tackle, which is a major tackle here, a problem here in Miami is transportation sure. and the, the mobility uh, around that, especially for those that are kind of like on the outskirts in a lot of the targeted urban areas and being able to take advantage of the opportunities that are not in the neighborhoods that they live in. But what does that mean when transportation sucks, right? Because sure. it sucks in Miami. Um, our, our public transportation is horrendous and it makes it very hard for people to leave out of their situations and be able to uh, to move up when they sure. can't get from one point to, to another. No, uh, yeah, like I've, I've spent a bit of time in Miami. To be fair, I haven't taken public transit transportation there but i i i i guess like that's a perfect segue into code fever and so 
I, I think in some ways you could potentially use maybe code to solve some of the transportation problems in Miami. Yeah, you, you can. Um, but I mean, the data is not open from oh, the government. Okay. So that's like, Got and, you. And, you know, we have code, uh, code for America here that right. has been kind of going and knocking on those doors pretty heavily for the past two years okay. since they, you know, since they've had, um, um, you know, c- kind of had like their people here on the ground working with government, not just with the county, but then the individual municipalities that we have here of like, open it up and let us help you solve some of your problems. Like, let's get a, um, you know, an entrepreneur of residence or one of our fellows in your office so that you guys don't have to do this. Right. Because, um, you know, I think so often we think government is very archaic, but they really have a communication problem as we dig deeper and realize like some of the things, some of the challenges that they're trying to solve, but they don't have to recreate the wheel when the tools and the people are here. We just kind of have to come together, of course, make the data open so that sure. they can do the work to solve some of these problems. And our students can then be able to work on those projects and have some sort of ownership with, with Miami and being able to create the city that they want to live in. Sure. And I, I also think it gives them a really good like portfolio piece when they're going out to look for jobs, too. Of course. Of course. You know, we have we have some organizations that we, we've worked with over the years that get it. So like the Broward County Library, you know, right. our... Our, our students every summer, we've been doing summer camps with them for the past three years. And our students work on apps of like, you know, how to get students or young people more engaged and back into the library. That's amazing. And, and, and they're solving these problems of building these applications to kind of, you know, to, to showcase that and be able to solve that problem and, and better connect their peers with the opportunities that are available in, in, the, in the library. Sure. So what exactly is Code Fever and, and why did you decide to co-found it? Yeah, so Code Fever um, is a nonprofit organization that we founded um, almost four years ago to address a few needs in Miami. Uh, one of the biggest was, you know, Derek, my, myself and my husband, Derek, uh, we were entrepreneurs here. We ran a gourmet popsicle manufacturing company. And I think most people were like, technology, popsicles, like how did sure. that come together? That's great. And, uh, but our mission, because we had both lost our jobs in 2008 during the economic downturn, and right. we kind of we made two commitments. One, entrepreneurship literally saved us because we could not find other jobs in our field. And then um, we also wanted to make sure that the work that we did with Feverish, that a portion of every popsicle either went to um, some organization that was committed to entrepreneurship and especially around youth and kind of helping them be self-sustainable because we had a 31 percent youth unemployment rate in South Florida at the time, which is atrocious. And uh, and we know what happens with that, right? So the cycle of poverty continues, higher teen crime rates, higher teen pregnancy rates. Um, you know, you see lower um, graduation rates in high school, like so many different things. And so we made a commitment to being able to figure out and like how to solve that problems the best way that we can. And, and so Code Fever started because we were doing some work with an organization in Atlanta and um, was, you know, worked with um, a, a group to help bring like Black Girls Code to Atlanta and Emory at that time and sponsored some girls from Georgia Pacific's Young Entrepreneurship Program to go and be a part of that. And then when we would come back home to Miami, none of that existed. Right. And people yeah. didn't know what the hell we were talking about. But meanwhile, there was this budding startup ecosystem that was being built. Um, kind of funded by one of our founding sponsors now, the Knight Foundation. They were funding a lot of projects and people to help create an ecosystem, a startup ecosystem in Miami. But what was, ha- what was happening is um, it wasn't crossing the tracks, right? Got and we have thir- 
13 targeted urban areas in Miami. And I, and Derek and I, as entrepreneurs, would get invited to these rooms all the time. And I'm like, this is great, but I know so many other people that could benefit from this. But there was an outreach problem. And so we figured that we would tackle it from a training standpoint of training students as well as their parents on uh, on the technical training side, but then also just on the resource side of what's going on so that they could fully understand the context of the opportunities that were presented to them in Miami and that they would start showing up. And, um, you know, we only plan to do this one event, like this one day, it's going to be big, we're going to get the whole community and everyone involved. And we originally only planned on having about 20 students there, we end up having about 80 students and their parents there. And after that one day event, like we got bombarded with uh, emails from parents, like when is the next event? And that's amazing. Amazing. Absolutely. But to be honest, like we had, it wasn't our intention to start a nonprofit organization, (laughs) right? (laughs) We really just wanted to support another organization that was doing this work because we were running a business. And, um, but at the same time, like our employees, which were mostly students from like the Liberty sitting in the Overtown area, um, we knew that they weren't going to be in popsicles forever, nor did we expect them to be. But we wanted to make sure that they had extremely marketable skills that allowed them to stay in Miami and flourish. And so it was like, like coupled with, you know, the onslaught of emails that we got from parents really kind of looking at the best needs and kind of help for our employees and making sure that they had um, career opportunities here in Miami. And that's what made us actually start that and turn that into a, a official organization. And so now we've, you know, not in addition to the to, to the coding program and the startup boot camp for students of color, African-American and Caribbean here in, in South Florida, our organization has kind of morphed into more on like economic development and inclusive innovation. So um, creating the programming that makes Miami startup ecosystem more inclusive and then matching not just young people, but then also startup founders with the support that they need. Uh, so that they can also flourish and be able to build. You know, like most of the entrepreneurs here uh, with the population we serve, they they can't raise a friends and family round, right? Like sure. their friends and family can only give them a round of applause. Like they can't actually <laughs> give them any funding. And so we connect them through Black Tech Week and um, our events and our network with the, with the people that they need to be able to scale what they're doing. No, I, I love that. I, I think that's that's awesome what you guys are doing. Um, and, and I love the story that you guys just basically through c- complete and utter demand for this. We're just not not forced because it sounds negative, but like there was so much outreach that you guys were just like, we have to keep doing this. I, I love that. Right. And I, I think that's great. And I love what you guys are doing for, you know, that whole kind of space. Right. So walk me through. How does it kind of work? Um, I know you guys obviously do stuff with kids and, and parents, but like, are the classes this like together? Are they separate? Is there a bit of both? How does that kind of work? Yeah, so the classes are, are separate. And so what we found um, when we first started off with our events is that everyone was throwing steam and STEM at parents and a lot okay. of them had no idea what the hell it was. Sure. And, and so the narrative was that these parents aren't interested, they don't care, they don't care about the future of their kids. And you know, we, we would do our trainings with our students and we would do these parents panels and we would bring in different people from the community with vastly different backgrounds, right? So you have like a Brian Burkeen who owns a facial recognition company called Kairos 
who, you know, dropped out of college, but still ended up working for like IBM and Apple and then started this major facial recognition company or McKeever, who is now a VC out of Baltimore and doing some phenomenal stuff. But he's like, I dropped out of high school and I was able to work for this company and I was able to like do all these things. And so it was really important for those parents to see that because what we, what was happening is our students would make that transition, right? From being a consumer create uh, of technology, realizing that they could be a creator. And then they would go home and their parents would be like, get off the computer, not realizing that they were now building instead of like wasting all this time on social apps or just like playing or like goofing off or doing whatever. And so that's one of the reasons that we realized we had to tool parents in to one, understand what their students were doing, but then more importantly, understand the actual trajectory for their kids because they know, like parents know what a doctor makes, right? Or relatively what a doctor makes or a lawyer makes. Or, you know, even sports players, basketball, football players, this is reality for our group, right? Yep. And, but most of them, if you ask them, what does an app developer make? They have no idea. Sure. Um, you know, what does a programmer make? Like an engineer, like someone doing something around machine lear- learning, like no idea because no one is giving them that safe space to ask those dumb questions. And, but that space is extremely important. So we had parents like, you know what? I know I need to get my child a computer. I don't know what to get them and I don't want to go to Best Buy and be embarrassed. Right. And, and so yeah, it's not that, you know, not that they're not interested. It's like they don't, they don't want to be embarrassed and that's rightfully so no one no one does right and they want to be supportive but you know what hey i've been working at a job for 25 years i've never had to touch a computer so i don't know what to do if my child if i buy them a computer and they ask me for something these sound like very simple problems but they were big barriers in the way of students really truly being involved in a in a stem program and being around for a long time and having their parents like really truly like rally behind them to make this shift and so what I liked is BuzzFeed came out with this really funny infographic about like, you know, some of the top earners in the tech space, the Mark Zuckerbergs and Peter, T- like all these people. Sure. And they did a comparison between like the number of Jay-Z's and like the number of <laughs> Kanye West's. Yeah, it yeah. takes to equal like the net worth of like Mark Zuckerberg. Right. Sure. And when we showed that parents were just like, holy crap, like we get it now. And um, it's fun and we make it fun, you know, but for for the parents, it's like, no, this is what the possibility is. And knowing the diverse backgrounds of of, of the students that we serve, that not all of them are college material, they can still have a pretty decent life as a QA, you know, QA engineer, right? Or or a programmer or someone that's doing simple IT. Like this is a possibility that I think, you know, hasn't been a possibility for them before. Totally. No, it's it's interesting you mentioned that because I was reading an article on the weekend talking about something similar, but it was with pro sports and they, they took yeah. kind of all the pro sports, you know, whether it's like basketball, baseball, hockey, you know, football, whatever, right? It doesn't really matter. It, they were saying that like you have a way better chance of being like a millionaire or or beyond that you know, being in tech, right? And mm-hmm. because, you know, you could maybe sell a company at some part or maybe go work for a company, you own shares that gets bought. Like the chances of it happening are are a lot higher than becoming a pro athlete. I'm not saying Absolutely. don't become a pro athlete. Like if you really want to try being a pro athlete, go, go for it. But I think like to your point, there's a lot of really good jobs or even maybe if you're, you not, aren't necessarily even like become a programmer or, but even just having a programming bit of programming background and understanding some basic logic or some basic kind of HTML or CSS, 
just in in the job space, you know, going forward is going to be important, right? And be able to maybe have conversations with more technical people, right? So I Mm -hmm. think what you guys are doing is super, super cool and really, really important. And And that's really why I wanted to have you on the show, because you're, you're doing a ton of stuff and we probably won't even have time to cover half of what you're you're involved in. But I do want to move into kind of, you, you've mentioned it a few times, what exactly is Black Tech Week? Because I, I, again, I think this is another really important thing that you guys are putting on through Code Fever. Yeah, absolutely. So Black Tech Week, we started two years ago. Um, we're going into the third conference this year. That's great. And, and we started it again, like looking at the problems in, in Miami and all right, so once we train these these students and these adults, right? Because we had a, a adult program that we piloted last year. Sure. There's still all these other things that need to happen and need to align in order for anyone to have a, um, a successful career in a STEM field or launch a startup. Sure. And so that's access to mentors. Uh, that's access to capital. Uh, that that's also you know those 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 people and those images of people that have succeeded in that space but then it's also a supportive community and we didn't have that in Miami at the time aside from like you know the monthly events and panels and things like that we were doing but we wanted to say hey we want to put together a national convening that literally brings all these cool people that are doing fantastic stuff um, that are not just black, but from very diverse backgrounds that are doing amazing things around technology, innovation, creativity, and and culture. And we want to have a celebration around that, but then we're also going to do some programming around that as well. And so that's where Black Tech Week came from. And it's a week-long series of events. It's a a huge undertaking. Sure, I can imagine. Oh my gosh, like we kind of go into hibernation after that for at least like two weeks just to like recover. But uh, you know, the first year we had just uh, almost uh, just about a thousand participants throughout the entire week. Uh, last year we had 1,700 participants throughout the entire week, and so most of the attention goes to the conference, which is the last two days. But there, like, we curate some events internally with our team, and then we kind of take over the city in different ways. And so Black Tech Week is is in different pockets all over Miami. That's great. One to expose the people that are coming down to different areas, like get off Miami Beach and like look at what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> There's some cool stuff, and people are di- building some really cool things. But then the other part is access, right? And so Kevin, when we talked about the transportation issue in Miami earlier, that's that's a reality, right? And sure. so we only concentrate all of our programming in the Wynwood area or downtown, we are literally missing the people that need it the most. And so Code for America and Ecotech Visions do programming during that week. Um, Power Moves and Morgan Stanley did a ton of programming and pitch competitions during that week as well. Um, um, uh, Digital Grass did something called Sound and Bites. Womat did like this music and engineering event for students. And then we closed the event with a huge women's innovation brunch. And like one of our main keynote speakers last year that everyone was crazy excited about was the founder of Magic Leap. Oh, yeah, sure. uh, Roni Avovitz, who doesn't speak at anything, apparently. Really? Yeah, spoke at Black Tech Week. That's amazing. Yeah, that was really cool. The founder of Priceline, um, you know, Chinetta Uchuro, who sold his company Hopstop to Apple for a crazy amount of money. Sure. Um, Rodney Williams from Listener, just like a, you know, really cool group of, of people that um, come and hang out in Miami and, you know, have fun. They network. Some deal flow happens, which is exactly what we want. Sure. And then just an increase of like re- resource magnetism in our community because that's the whole other 
part of the puzzle that that's missing. Like once you get the money, there's still all these resources that you need to kind of be aligned so that you can capitalize on that and kind of leverage that. And so that's what Black Tech Week is. And, and you know, it's something that we are trying to build into this massive experience that the whole entire community is involved with um, and hopefully the whole world at some point. Sure. So what time of the year does that happen? Yeah, so traditionally it's happened during Black History Month in February. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so this year for 2017, we actually have three big initiatives that we launched. So we moved the full week of Black Tech Week to September, and that's okay. September 25th through the 30th. And we launched something called Black Tech Weekends. So that's what's coming up next week, February gotcha. 23rd through the 25th. And okay. what we did with that, and it's a series that will take place throughout the state of Florida, is um, zeroing in on one major pain point along the kind of like the entrepreneurial journey. And so Black Tech Weekend is solely dedicated to funding. And so most of our speakers are VCs. Um, You know, we have mentor sessions, one-on-one sessions. Um, The CEO of Y Combinator, Michael Siebel, is our keynote speaker. And, um, you know, people from VCs from 500 Startups and Venrock Capital and um, Lauren Mylon from Quit Your Day Job, the Oxygen TV show with Mark Zuckerberg's sister. She's one of our keynotes, Angela Benton from New Me. So just a real solid group of phenomenal people uh, doing a lot of work, but all around access to capital. So whether that's they run an accelerator or incubator. Um, you know, they are VCs or angel investors, but then also government funding and crowdfunding and people who have raised in that way. And then like good old customer funding, because sure. that kind of gets lost in the conversation, too. Like you could just you don't need VCs all the time. Like there are some ways that you can raise a lot of capital through your customers. And um, and, and so it's a fun week. It, it ends with a tour of Miami. That's a black heritage tour as well as a startup ecosystem tour and visiting some of the places that um, entrepreneurs have kind of built hubs, whether that's in Little Haiti and Liberty City and Overtown um, and even like on the beach. So it's it's a really cool weekend um, and we plan to do a, a bunch of those throughout the year. But Black Tech Week will always be in Miami. And then our other big key initiative for uh, for 2017 is our VC in residence program. And so um, one of our speakers, Marlon Nichols, who's a partner with Cross Culture Ventures, he's speaking at Black Tech Weekend. He will actually will be hosting him for the entire month of April here in Miami. That's great. Um, Yeah. So, I I mean, and that's we're really excited about that, because, again, that's another way to to get as many entrepreneurs of color uh, in front of them as possible. And their goal is to invest in one of those companies uh, by the end of that four weeks. So it's a it's kind of a boot camp office hours, pitch deck reviews, you know, some some events with some of the other people from their fund. But um, just like an entrepreneur in residence program, and we understand why those are needed in universities and in government, the exact same thing is needed for groups that usually don't have VC funds that are housed in their community that are particularly looking to invest in black and Latino led startups. We'll, we'll have that. That's great. So I wasn't sure if we'd have time to cover this, but I you, you kind of started your whole entrepreneurial career selling popsicles. Do you want to kind of walk me through how that came to be? You kind of mentioned it roughly earlier on in the show, but I'm, I'm kind of curious now to, to step back a little bit and kind of learn more about that. Yeah, so the, the company is called Feverish Pops. Um, I started it with like the last bit of my savings, buying two ice cream carts off the luxury shopping website Craigslist. Sure. And um, That's amazing. Started- 
Yeah, yeah. Started after I lost my job. Um, my, my husband and I were doing work for Nintendo on the product launch side. And in 2008, we were laid off and we decided to, well, it was my idea, this crazy idea. I'm fascinated with desserts okay. still to this day. Sure. We, um, we got married at a hippie donut shop in Portland, Oregon. Like, that's, that's awesome. We love desserts and moved back to Florida. And I was like, it was just, you know, honestly, like I have no food experience like whatsoever. And like even to this day after like we sold the company, like, I still have no food experience outside of like popsicles. <laughs> And <laughs> that's amazing, but, was, but I think that's inspirational in itself, right? It is, it is. But it, I mean, it was not without its challenges, right? Because that sure. was a huge learning curve for the both of us. I mean, I had worked at McDonald's when I was 16. My husband worked at Subway and we sure. were just like, we're just going to do this. And um, bought ice cream molds off of Amazon and just like went to the kitchen and it was trial and error and we figured it out. That's and amazing. We, yeah, and we figured out a really cool niche within the whole frozen dessert, kind of mobile dessert industry. And this was before, like, the big food trucks and stuff. And, right. um, you know, we had clients like Forever 21 and PayPal and Google and, and Whole Foods and um, even Trump. And, like, you know, just, like, a really cool company that did a lot of really cool stuff around private label manufacturing. We had a store in Midtown. Um, but we would, the biggest part of our business was working with big brands and kind of injecting their, either their brand or their, or their actual product into the popsicles. And, um, and then the popsicles were almost essentially used as like promotional items. So think of like forever 21 wanted yellow popsicles because that goes with the, you know, the color of their brand and they wanted to promote the grand opening of their store on South beach and they bought 10,000 popsicles and we would put like 10% off, you know, on the sticks or, Yeah, and then we would get real weird requests. Like Tinder wanted us to do like aphrodisiac popsicles for the South Beach Food and Wine Festival. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, I mean, it was a fun business. We ran it for seven years. Uh, You know, the good, the bad, and the ugly happened in that process between, you know, taking on investors and managing employees and um, a really fun ride, really awesome company. Um, You know, we sold it uh, two years ago. It wasn't a big sell, but... Um, we, you know, we, we rode that ride of popsicles for, for seven years. No, that, that's amazing. So I, you've written a bunch of books and we're, we're, we're kind of running in the last kind of quarter of the show. So I, I, I think you've written a bunch of really good books. So do you maybe want to kind of give a quick kind of overview of, you know, a few of them or all of them if, if you want. Cause I, I think what you've written about is, is super important and, and super useful for a lot of people. Absolutely. Absolutely. So all the books that I've written have been around like the premise of getting very creative with limited resources. So, you know, I talked about earlier um, about my scholarship journey as a C student. So my sure. first book that I wrote is called the C student's guide to scholarships. And it's a creative guide to finding scholarships when your grades suck and your parents are broke. Cause that was me in high school. Sure. And then uh, my second book, which is just re- came out again with uh, my publisher P- Peterson's is uh, start your business on a ramen noodle budget. And that's again about getting very creative with, uh, with, you know, your limited resources. And if you don't have money, you still have all these other things that you can leverage. If you kind of look at them a little bit differently, instead of looking that as, um, as obstacles, you're looking at as an opportunity and you can leverage that and get creative and, and get out of your own way and start your business. Um, the other one is the focus action planner and it's a three month strategic planner, 
um, something that I used after I was losing a ton of money, um, forgetting deadlines and not following up and not creating like a brand to kind of, well, not a brand strategy. So it's a three month planner that allows you to just kind of get focused, get organized and, and, and make more money. Sure. And then I have a ton of other guides and stuff on like on, on my, on my website as well. No, that's, that's great. So I'm, I'm kind of curious, you're, you, you're doing like a bunch of stuff as well. Like you have some courses, you, you do a bunch of kind of speaking, walk me through kind of your course, your courses and kind of speaking engagements. What do you kind of cover in those? Yeah. So again, like I speak, um, I, I travel a few times a month speaking on okay. different topics. Uh, a lot of it is around entrepreneurship, the entrepreneurial journey, uh, I talk a lot about failure because I've had some epic, epic failures uh, throughout my years as an as an entrepreneur. But a lot of it is around that. So entrepreneurship, failure, and then on the the Black Tech Week Code Fever side about creating inclusive innovation hubs and kind of ridding communities of innovation deserts, and all of those kind of play into each other. Um, and then the courses have been courses that I've kind of created over the years that have now kind of become evergreen products around um, you know how to become an epic expert. I have another course around uh, the C Students Guide. And I'm sorry, um, start your business on a ramen noodle budget. And I have a course uh, for people that are want, want to get into the popsicle business of kind of like what I learned over the seven years of kind of pioneering that industry. And, uh, and there's just a ton of stuff. So like, you know, when I get inspired and, uh, you know, I'm kind of at a point where I can't like help everyone that emails me. So I'm like, sure. let me create something that is a guide that at least helps you if I can't like spend any time with you or answer your email or, or phones or right away. Like it's a really useful, tactical, simple, simple guide to just kind of help you uh, continue to move forward is how I look at everything. No, I, I think that's great. The, the other thing that I really wanted to cover with you is... You got recognized by the White House in 2014. Walk, talk me through kind of what exactly did you get recognized for? Yeah, so we got, I got the award for, um, for the White House as a, a champion change for STEM access and diversity for um, African-American educational excellence. So for the work that we were doing with Code Fever um, in Miami is what, what I got awarded for. So me personally and then kind of like our program overall. So fantastic, amazing opportunity. Like I didn't even believe the phone call when I got it. So, uh, so I actually missed the phone call. Cause I'm like, what is this random number? Okay. And then, <laughs> and then I listened to the vo voicemail. I was like, Oh shoot. I should have answered the phone. But, uh, I mean, to be honored with everyone else that I was honored with has just been, was amazing. An amazing experience that I was able to bring my parents up to. Um, and yeah, it was really cool. So, so what happened? So they call, did they call you back or did you call them back or, or how kind of walk me through that? Kevin, I call, I could not dial back fast sure. enough. Sure. <laughs> well, okay. So, so you call them back. Yeah, I call them back and I'm like, heck yeah, I'll be there. Like, you know, no matter what, I'm, I'm going to make it. And, um, you know, they kind of went through like the honor and like that I was nominated. Unfortunately, they never told us like who nominated us, which I would love to like know because oh, I would love to like, thank this person. Sure. But, um, but yeah, I mean, maybe about a month prior to the event, they called and flew up to New York. It was cold as I don't know what, not New York, but um, DC. Yeah. Um, and it was cold as I know, I, I don't know what. And um, all of the honorees were on like a question and answer panel. And then they kind of awarded us. 
we got a chance to meet with, um, oh my gosh, the, uh, oh, Barack Obama's chief of staff. I cannot remember her name, and that's so bad because I love her so much. That's all good. Um, but yeah, we got a chance to meet with her, and it was a, just a really cool experience. And, and since then, you know, the support that we've gotten from that office has just been really great. Uh, they came on as partners with Black Tech Week last year, and we hosted a Twitter chat with some really cool people around um, around the tech the tech space as it relates to um, education and training programs for for students of color and it's it's been good man it's been it's been a, an amazing honor that just kind of keeps on giving yeah you've you've had a wild amazing career right I, I think that's great so I'm, I'm curious though you've been through a business you're running all these events you're doing all these things in the community you've been recognized by a handful of other things that we probably don't have time to cover but I'm curious what advice do you give somebody that's looking to maybe get out there and learn to code or start mm -hmm. a business like you must get asked this all the time but I'm curious what do you tell people yeah, so if they want to learn how to code um, or they want to start a business it's literally start with where you are and what you have and, you know, I think so often people are like, just Google it. Like, but I'm like, no, like, <laughs> if you know, that's what you want to do. There are, they're usually, you know, and I can't say this for everywhere in, in the United States, but there sure. are usually resources in, in the community. And it's literally just by starting by asking who is in pro close proximity to you. Like, do you know any programs? And if they give you a name from there, then you go on online because a lot of times like the resources are there, but the context of understanding what that means for me, it can sure. be so foreign to people. Right. And um, but usually someone in your network can at least get you one step closer to figuring that that part out. Um, I think there's so much information online now, whether it's like YouTube University, which we all love, right? Yep. Um, or Udemy classes or Linda or like all these sources that will really help you just tinkle not tinker with it right and figure out if it's for you if you like that process uh, and then from there figure out what's how what's your learning style because i think so often people will push people to like go you know go online and, and go to code academy but if that's not your learning style and that's how you're going to be introduced to coding you may never actually then take a class because you've gone through that process it didn't match with the best way that you needed to learn maybe you needed to be like more hands-on and in a classroom environment and have someone that, that mentors you and if that's the case then that's those are the, the kind of programs that you should definitely seek out but uh, the resources are there the mentors are there and ecosystems are really weird because like once you get in you're in right yeah, and you can totally. quickly you know kind of navigate it but I would say if you're looking online again, you know, look up asset maps for different communities because a lot of them have started to create that. So, you know, if you were if you were looking to raise funding, like these are the organizations in this city that allow you to raise funding. If you're looking for a co-working space, um, you know, and those are the resources that I think we really, truly need all over the United States. So just better help people navigate what's the first step, because I think once we get to a, a certain point, we forget that we were all in that position, right? And we had no idea what to do next until someone, you know, told us what to do or guided us or pointed us in a different direction. So getting back to that first step and helping people be able to navigate ecosystems better would, would, would really help a lot of people. No, I, I think that's really good advice. So sadly, we're coming to the end of the show. So maybe let's close the show with mentioning where people can get more information about yourself, Code Fever, 
Black Tech Week and anything else that you, you're currently working on? Or, yeah, or... yeah. <laughs> um, FeliciaHatcher.com is my personal um, site. And I'm literally at Felicia Hatcher on everything online because it's easy for me to remember. Sure. And, then, um, and then BlackTechWeek.com and CodeFever.com are our three things. And between that, you can uh, learn more about me. And I, hopefully we can connect and I can learn more about everyone else. And, um, and then, you know, Miami in February is an awesome time to come sure. because of, you know, all, everything that we have going on in the city, um, and some good, good cool stuff as well. So, so one last thing, Felicia, you're, you're going to be at SUPEX. Do you want to maybe cover what you're going to be talking about there? Yeah, I'm excited to be at the uh, SUPEX in, in March, um, talking about diversity and entrepreneurship. And just kind of not really focus on the problem because I think we all know what that is, but really t- focus on some solutions to solving some of the problems that some even some of these big technology conferences can't solve, um, companies can't solve. So really cool conference um, in Broward County. And I'm really excited to, to be a panelist at, at one of their their panels. Perfect. Well, Felicia, I really p- appreciate you taking the time of your day to be on the show. And I look forward to keeping in touch with you and have a good rest of your day. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you so much. Thanks. Bye. Thanks for listening. The music for the show is done by Electric Mantra. You can check them out at electricmantra.com and keep them in the future.